Taken. 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 It's not, it's not happening with him. I'll tell you what's the matter with life with that, that beautiful lady over there. Hey, baby, check out the gun show going on over here. Boom, boom, firepower. Where are they? Killing and making a choice. Hasta la vista, baby. That's not how the force works. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Welcome to Oh So Curious. We are three curious minds trying to tell time. That's right, three of us, three brains. What are we? We're disembodied brains. Today's disembodied and displaced brains include me, Andrew Frankel, Daniel, Khan, how you doing? Hello. And Glenn Jennings. How you doing? What's up, guys? What's going on? I'm feeling pretty good. Today is a very special No Girls Allowed episode. It's Bond <laughs> movies, sports movies, and all the other stuff we're excited to talk about. Mags couldn't be here. She'll be covering a little bit of stuff off the grid later today we got some rolling underground for you and uh yeah what's going on in the world of entertainment people i don't know there's there's a lot going on actually um a lot of movies coming out um venom came out last weekend uh was like the biggest movie out there in the world then of course james bond no time to die that that came out so i went to see that movie we're gonna be talking about that i'm right so there's a lot going on. Brian, anything on, on your end? Anything special? Yeah, actually, there's a movie that's coming out, uh, believe it or not, that I am super interested in. Uh, one of which follows a football player that actually followed the whole career, basically the whole career of. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I mean, I'm sure you guys are already familiar with him. His name is Kurt Warner. And there's a movie actually coming out on him. It's called uh, American Underdog, uh, the Kurt Warner story. Uh, so basically, just to give you a little background on uh, who Kurt Warner is, because uh, I think we have a, a trailer that we're going to show uh, in just a yeah. moment. But just to give a little background on Kurt Warner, he's, uh, he's I mean, the title is basically, it basically sums up exactly who he is. I mean, I, I don't think you could go with uh, any better of a title, but um, so he basically played college football at Northern Iowa from 1990 to 1993. Uh, and then he basically spent four years uh, without being named to uh, an NFL roster once he was out of college. Uh, he was eventually signed by the Green Bay Packers in 1994. Uh, then he was basically released uh, before the re uh, regular season even started. Uh, went on to play three seasons, I think it was, uh, for this arena football league team called the Iowa Barnstormers. And while he was playing uh uh, arena football he basically got a job uh working the night shift as a night stock clerk at a local uh, grocery store i believe the name of the store was uh, the high v um in addition to basically doing some assistant coach work at uh, northern iowa so, so basically uh he then he basically landed his his first nfl job 
uh, and he got himself a roster spot in 1998 with the uh, the St. Louis Rams, who are now the L.A. Rams. Um, and then he basically came in for the injured uh, Trent Green when he got hurt during the preseason, and the rest was history from there. I mean, it's the, it's the true Cinderella story. I think one of the greatest uh, NFL stories um, that I've, I've ever – I've ever uh, had the privilege of uh, basically watching. Uh, what are people going to be excited to hear about? Like, what's what is going to draw people to this movie? If they're not sports fans, if they're not football fans, is there what's that kernel of ex- excitement that people are going to latch on to? Well, honestly, Andrew, I, I think it's just the simple fact. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to be a sports fan or a football fan. And I, I think in that case, to go see this movie. I just think it's the simple fact of like the story itself. I mean, here's a guy who was, like I said, he was a night night clerk uh, stocking shelves at a, at a grocery store. And he basically went on to be a Super Bowl MVP, uh, win a Super Bowl um, and a regular season MVP, all, all three of those. And now he's in the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a story of a guy who literally had nothing. And he yeah. basically went on to, you know, basically live out his dream, you know, and basically in one season, all in one season. And then after there's that, he went there's, on there's to... A, there's a real message of hope here. I think um, we have the trailer yeah. here. Let's take a look at that. You wanted to see me, sir. Sit down, Kurt. Thank you, Coach. I prefer to stand. All right. Go ahead, then. Tell me. Tell you what. Why a team worth $800 million, one of the most complex offenses ever built, should put you in the driver's seat. You're too old to be a rookie, too green to be a pro. So why in the world would I give you this shot? All my life, I've defined myself through sports. I've always come up empty. Coach, I can win for you. You need to start thinking about life after football, son. We gave you that chance. We're letting you go. I was meant for something. Something more. You think you could be that guy? Yeah, I do. What are you doing here? I wasn't ready for it. But I am now. You defied all odds waited for it. I bled for it. I know who I am. And I know why I'm here. If you give me a chance. Green went down hard and is not getting up. I will not let you down. You were born for this. There's something special about you, son. Destiny. The monster of the underdogs. You want to prove that? Dan, what do you think? You're gonna see it? I loved I like the look of the movie. This this looks nice. I mean, look, I had no idea this movie even existed, right? So just watching this trailer um, was the first time I'm getting a taste of this film, and I have to be honest, I'm I'm excited. This this looks really good. Um, 
Yeah. I love Zachary Levi. So as an actor, um, great personality. Well, I, think, I mean, the rest of the cast is also very strong. So. Yeah, and I think that's another reason too, Andrew. You know, you look at basically the cast that's in this. I mean, it's it's a pretty good cast, uh, as Daniel just mentioned and just pointed out. Uh, Zachary Levi, he's playing Kurt Warner. Uh, Anna Paquin, she's playing uh, Brenda, War Brenda Warner, uh, yeah. his wife. Um, Dennis Quaid, I mean, how many great you know, sports movies has he been in, you know, like the rookie. And I mean, basically um, he's going to be playing Dick Vermeil, the coach uh, at the time uh, was, he was the head coach at the time for the uh, St. Louis Rams. Um, I believe Adam Baldwin, he's playing Terry Allen and Chance Kelly. He's basically playing um, Mike Martz, who was the assistant coach at the Dick Vermeil at the time. So, um, I mean, yeah, you look at this movie, I think something like this is very appropriate. I think it should have come out maybe, you know, some amount of years ago, but I'm glad they're finally, you know, making it now. Cause it was, it seems like so long ago now, you know, 1999 season that it was, but is that 19, um, you can see some of the 1999 styles in the, in the, in the costumes and in the, uh, even some of the products, the production design is going to be really interesting. It's another one yeah. of those movies taking you back not too long ago, but definitely not now. Uh, mm -hmm. I like that. I love a message of, you know, of inspiration of people, inspiring people to try and, you know, move forward and not give up on their dreams. It's like, it's an, it's yeah. a, it's a good product. People buy that all the time. They love being told yeah. that they can and, do it. And I, yeah, I'll just say this too, kind of just to wrap this up with this, with this cricket, but basically there was a running joke when he was uh, actually on the, the Green Bay Packers. I mean, there was a, plethora of like talent on that team with the co both with the coaching staff and with the quarterbacking uh, staff that they had. And uh, there was always a joke between Brett Favre and Steve Mariucci, the quarterback's coach. And, and uh, I, I believe it was the Ty Detmer. I, I can't remember who else was there. Might've been, I might be mistaken. Might've been Mark Brunel, but I might be mistaken. But anyway, there was, there was a joke. Uh, I don't know if it was a game or a practice, but Steve Mariucci asked Kurt Warner, basically, if he wanted to go in, uh, and get some reps or, or it might've been, yeah, I think it was practice. Do you want to go and get some reps in practice? And, and Kurt Warren looked at him and said, I'm, I'm not going in. So there's like a running joke now with Brett Favre. He basically, uh, I saw it in one of the documentaries. He, he said, uh, well, I'm not going to go in practice, but uh, I'll go in Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> do that. So, but, uh, yeah, it was pretty funny. No, that's great. I love, I love that kind of, um, that confidence in in yourself that's you don't see a whole lot of it these days and it's again it's a message that never gets old you know to, right right uh, that's exciting thanks for that i think now we're going to throw to magdalena she's taking a look at squid game which if you don't know anything about it and i didn't when i started watching it it's um it's the most popular possibly the highest grossing thing on netflix right now and it's uh, it's a dub. Uh, I'm watching with subtitles because the dub bothers me. But yeah. let's, uh, let's take a look and see yeah. what Magdalena has to say about the whole series. I'm only a couple episodes in. I want to talk to you about a squid game, which uh, I'm sure you, if you haven't seen it, at least you've heard of. It's a uh, global phenomenon, like this pop cultural sensation now that it's taking over the world, pretty much. Everyone's talking about Squid Game. Um, it was released on Netflix on the 17th of September, and since then, 
people binge watch it as soon as they start it so it's definitely worth a mention for us uh, ranking it's got highest ranking show in 90 in 90 countries it's getting positive reviews on IMDB meter uh, critic and IMDB uh, and sorry Rotten Tomatoes um, it's nothing like anything you've ever seen before uh, there was no intellectual property it's based on no intellectual property that's why the story is very fresh it's very unique um the genre of it is that it's a death game genre which is quite niche uh but i'm sure you fit you've heard of things like battle royale or hunger games um so yeah the point of it it's to survive it's a, it's a death game uh but it's it's done in a very very clever way so the vulture magazine had this great quote that really captured what's happening um they said that a central implicit idea of the late it's sorry let me rephrase that a critique of the central implicit idea of the late capitalist world that everything is a hard work everything is skill everybody gets to where they belong in a perfect global society but all those claims are shown to be nothing um it's it's brilliant uh it gets you to really think and reflect on your own life your own actions and your own future we said um yeah the the, the sort of phenomena aspect of it and why it's so approachable for everyone is the fact it's subtitled in 37 languages and it's been dubbed in 34 and it's more than any other series before um it's just really really internationally friendly however personally i still recommend watching it in uh, korean um which is the original language of the of the series with obviously english subtitles um what else um it's it's growing through an organic fandom that's that's the beauty of it um they didn't try to advertise it too much it's just dropped on us and any other series before however in terms of uh how popular it is it's it's actually overtaking the witcher in bridgerton which as we all know they were a huge series at the time um yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing where the series takes whether there's another season what's what's going to happen um yeah but yeah thanks for listening and i'll be back next week for uh, our next episode but yeah thanks guys bye this is an open letter to Ghostbusters. Dear Ghostbusters, how are you? I am fine. I know it's been a while since we last talked, but I heard you might be coming back soon. The last time you came back hit us all pretty hard, and I'd like to be able to trust you again. I just can't risk getting hurt like that every time you come crashing in and out of my life. I think if we establish some ground rules for your next visit, we can continue speaking. I want you in my life. But if we can't move forward, I will keep our best memories in my heart forever and accept that you've just changed. I want to acknowledge that you put Paul Rudd in the new movie, which I will accept as a gesture of goodwill on your part. 
I also want to thank you for not rebooting the franchise and erasing all evidence of fun we had almost 40 years ago. That makes me feel more comfortable letting you back into my life. Okay, these are the ground rules. First, I see you also put the Stranger Things kid in there. That's fine. But please don't make him some kind of chosen one or give him some special gift. I'd hate for this to turn into another hairy Star Wars. <clears throat> please don't make him a Ghostbuster for the next 20 years either. He's already been in It 1 and 2 and almost five seasons of Stranger Things and stuff. I, I just don't think he's our only option for 80s stylized content. Second, please don't go too hard on the nostalgia. Cameos and revisited sets are great if they make sense. And I'll be very happy to see Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, and Sigourney Weaver make even a minor appearance to keep it canonical. But I simply cannot bear the prospect of using deep fakes and CGI to resurrect Harold Ramis or God forbid, John Belushi. My heart just can't take it. I would also hate for this to be a list of references to the first set of movies. Third, <clears throat> don't let Billie Eilish cover the Ghostbusters theme song. Anyone else? I know there's no reason to believe that'll happen. I just have a bad feeling. Just keep, please keep it funky. Or better yet, just remaster the old one. There's nothing wrong with it. Lastly, I'm sorry for dragging this out. Don't take the science fiction or the mythos too seriously. I never want to take Ghostbusters seriously. I think that's about it. So if you'll agree to these, then we can forget about what happened in 2016 and look forward to seeing you in theaters on November 19th. Sincerely, Andrew Frankel. Yes, it's been quite the run for Daniel Craig over the past decade, as his time of playing the sharp, quick-witted man behind that unmistakable tux comes to an end, with his last appearance in No Time to Die now upon us. Most can agree that Craig lived up to every bit of the part of 007, as 2006's Casino Royale is arguably one of the greatest James Bond films ever made. But we can't forget where the international man of mystery started, Created by British journalist and novelist Ian Fleming in 1952, the literary character of James Bond was first portrayed by American actor Barry Nelson on screen in a 1954 television adaption, Casino Royale. But it was Scottish actor Sir Sean Connery who was cast in 1962's Dr. No, which would lay the foundation for a 25-film franchise through Eon Productions for the next 59 years. According to multiple sources, Fleming originally didn't want Connery to play the role of James Bond. No, Fleming had others in mind, like English actors Cary Grant and David Niven. But to no surprise, Connery swayed Fleming's opinion with his cunning personality and dashing suave looks, taking espionage to a whole new level. I mean, who could deny Connery 
of cementing his legacy as Bond by the way he popularized the iconic catchphrases Bond. James Bond. And a martini, shaken not stirred. Don't forget that it was Connery who made driving the Aston Martin in all of Q's gadgets cool. Oh, and did I mention? Connery always got the girl. He matched all of the qualities of a spy. Highly intelligent and a diabolical maverick, Connery would appear to be arrogant and conceited, overconfident to win every dangerous situation he got himself into. But he was always grounded and knew when to remain calm, cool, and collected when he needed to be. Probably the only man who knew how to escape a shark-infested swimming pool, he defined the landscape of James Bond at a time when movie audiences weren't accustomed to seeing their heroes execute their enemies in cold blood. Connery starred as James Bond in seven films, spanning from 1962 to 1983. His portrayal of the British Secret Intelligence Service Officer, or MI6, is timeless, and every actor that portrayed Bond since Connery has looked up to his take for inspiration, as the standard for excellence, the consummate Bond. Many would argue that 1964's Goldfinger is right up there with 2006's Casino Royale as the greatest James Bond film ever made. And it's no wonder why Craig speaks with such high praise of Connery's influence. All right, we're back. That was great. What did you guys think? Talking about No Time to Die. I, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking it's, uh, I think it's about time for Daniel Craig to step down. That's, uh, that's the attitude I'm bringing into this talk right now. But let's, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that's not a unanimous opinion. Brian, what's your take on the whole thing? No, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with you, Andrew. I think, uh, I think he did a fantastic job playing the role of James Bond um, through the five films that he's done. Um, I think it's very hard to – I'd be hard-pressed to say that he didn't do a good job. But, I mean, I, I would have to agree with you. You know, all, all good things eventually come to an end, and I think he's finally, uh, he's finally reached his end uh, with this role. Um, you know – just a, just a couple things before we get into No Time to Die. Um, you know, it, it seems like um, all the James Bonds, you know, all the all the actors that portrayed James Bond before him kind of had that finesse, like, um, kind of like suave kind of like role as yeah. James Bond, like clever, suave, finesse type, you know, guy um, playing that James Bond character. And I think that all kind of started with uh, Sean Connery. But I just want to say that, you know, Daniel Craig, in my mind, he kind of brought like a new a new kind of like feel, a new kind of like look to James Bond. He wasn't really much of that, you know, like finesse, you know, like kind of like sweet talking kind of guy as much as he was like a bruiser. You know what I mean? Like, here, let me go like kill my enemies type James Bond, which I actually really appreciated from from Daniel Craig and in, in his time, you know, in the role as James Bond. But I mean, you can't say enough about Daniel Craig. He's other than playing James Bond. I mean, I think he's a fantastic actor. Otherwise, um, you know, I thought he did a great job in Knives Out. That was a great movie too. But he was fun. Um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, 
you know, other than that, you know, and it's funny too because Daniel and I have talked about this uh, multiple times already before doing the show. Um, his first role as James Bond was Casino Royale, as we see right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's arguably one of the greatest James Bond films ever made. I think a lot of people would put that right up there with Goldfinger and um, some of the other great James Bond films, uh, you know, that we've seen over the years. But, um, you know, and it's funny, too. That's his first that was his first role as James Bond. And it, it's probably his, it's his best, I think. And, you know, and, what, uh, what, what makes that great? Because I remember seeing that. It's been a long time. But, you know, you mentioned that he's not he's not your typical smooth talking, suave James Bond. He, there's, it's a different character. What makes this what makes that great as a Bond? Yeah, film? I think it, I think it's the way he presented himself, like in, in how basically his role of James Bond was going to be for the rest of the four movies to follow it. I mean, it's basically the action in there. It's. It's the way he um, attacked his enemies. It's the way he went at them. And it's that relationship that he basically builds. Um, help me out here, guys. I'm trying to think of her name. I can't think of it right now. It's Eva Green uh, playing Vesper Lynn. You know what I mean? Like yeah. his yeah. relationship with her throughout the whole series. You know what I mean? So I I just think that movie kind of set the stage for who how Daniel Craig was basically going to be in his role as James Bond going forward. And, you know, it's hard to do that. You know what I mean? In your very first role playing a new character, you know, so I think he did a very good job of that. Um, you know, that poker scene there, it's a very iconic scene. Uh, the scene where he like jumps on, or no, that's, that's probably Skyfall. I think the scene where he jumps on the train after it like falls apart. I can't remember. That was but, Skyfall. Um, yeah. That was that's Skyfall. Skyfall. But no, I mean, Casino Royale, yeah, it, it kind of set the tone for the rest of the, um, the, the other four movies that followed it. So, so tell me um, about this latest one. You know, where does this take us with, with Daniel Craig's Bond? And how is it different? How do they tie up everything? Because I know they sort of serialized this whole uh, series of Bond films, which is unusual. Yeah, I think it's funny because uh, the... The one before No Time to Die was Spectre, right? And I think that was, I think people were a little upset with it. You know, I think they were a little turned off and they weren't as, you know, Why? Um, pleased with it as they were with the other ones. Um, maybe Quantum of Solace too. I, I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, this was basically the um, sequel to uh, Spectre. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said about this because I feel very, very mixed about this, this movie. Um, you know, can I, can I add my thing, two cents? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I know you're dying to, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to cut you off. I don't, but, um, I have to say James Bond in general as a character, right? Each actor kind of brings a different version of, of the portrayal and each of them does their own thing. Sean Connery's was like the suave, sweet-talking, womanizing playboy Bond, and he could he the the action in those movies doesn't hold up quite as well to today's standards. You know the way one chop to the shoulder, the guy's out kind of a thing. If you watch those movies for as an action adventure film, they don't hold up well. But if you watch those movies for 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 being just great 
spy thrillers that I think, you know, and then also just to watch Sean Connery playing essentially himself. Um, they're great movies. Then you move on to Roger Moore's Bond and it becomes, uh, I think, an amp the, the suave and sweet-talking part gets amplified. The action gets a little more campy. And the movies were a great fit for the time when they came out. I think that's the great thing about Bond movies. They they were every set of Bond films that has ever come out. They've really done for the time that they're coming out in. You know, it's like there is no set. If you were to try to put it into a genre, Bond movies don't really fit into a genre. They're like their own genre on a, all onto their own. So Roger Moore's Bond was very different than what we got from Sean Connery. And then when we got to Timothy Dalton, a couple of movies, it, it didn't quite fit well. Because I don't know if it was a casting thing, that it wasn't maybe the best fit for the character, or they just weren't looking. F I guess the world wasn't ready for the kind of Bond that Timothy Dalton was portraying, which I would say is closer to what you get from Daniel Craig today. It's just that the movie audiences and the taste that people have for movies nowadays is very different than what it was back when Timothy Dalton entered the role. Um, and Pierce Brosnan's Bond, which I think is Brian's favorite Bond, that one was, that Bond was sort of a mix between Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton with obviously improved set pieces and action sequences and better visual effects. Some terrible visual effects, but you know, overall better visual effects than the series past. But then when they switched over to Daniel Craig's Bond, that was like, all right, now we're talking 21st century modern Bond, the first blonde Bond. He was also, like you said, a bruiser Bond. This guy doesn't just sweet talk you. Can he sweet talk you? Sure. Not quite his strength. But all in all, I think to my favorite Bond is Daniel Craig's Bond because to me, these movies are like the best set of movies, uh, of Bond movies ever made. Um, some of those older Connery Bond movies, I think, can do hold up well. Uh, the Roger Moore movies, Moore movies. I don't, I don't know. Like those ones, just get too campy for me. So, I would just say that for me, Daniel Craig's Bond movies hold up quite well. Quantum of Solace is uh, basically underrated. It's a pretty good movie, not a great movie. I fell through. I fell asleep watching Spectre, and you know that's wow. all I got to say about it. Um, Skyfall. Although derivative in some ways of The Dark Knight, and the director will tell you he's very much influenced by Christopher Nolan and the Dark Knight series, so that shows. But um, all in all, one of the best Bond films, Casino Royale to me is the best Bond movie ever made. The best, like not just the best Daniel Craig Bond movie, the best Bond movie ever made. Skyfall is probably in some ways, people will say it's better, or it's tied, or it's close second. For me, it's probably a close second. Quantum of Solace is still a decent movie, No Time to Die, it's, it's up there. It's up there with them. Um, but given that we were talking about No Time to Die, what, do you, what did you guys think about the film? We've all went to see it, so your thoughts? You know, I like the older Bond stuff. I, I think that there's mm -hmm. something missing, um, you know, because when, when we can divide Bond films into, like, the spy movies, and I think mm -hmm. they, defined, they defined a genre of spy movies, whereas right. in the last 20 years, last even 30 years it really has become more of action and we don't see the spy genre yeah. and i don't know if daniel craig really embodies the spy genre he turns bond into an action film which i think is marketable is fun people like it's a high grossing movie people are excited right. to see these things um yeah, people love action people love know. action i also want to just sort of dial in on the difference there of science fiction in the 60s versus science fiction now. Because yeah. 
technology has gotten so much more advanced now that yeah. we look at, this, at the at the devices that they came up with in the 60s and the 70s and it's like they really had to think what could come next whereas now it, it takes a real back seat to the explosions um to the performances and it it takes a lot for us to be impressed by science fiction and gadgets which were a quintessential part of bond films for a long time right that was like the staple basically of you know all the gadgets and you know, getting the women and, you know, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely, I think the landscape has definitely changed because, you know, basically society has changed. You know what I mean? We've yeah. become more advanced as a society. As a society, yes. And you I think that society. goes hand in hand with the role that, it, that basically helped with the role that Daniel Craig had to kind of like, you know, mold himself into as the James Bond character because the high flying, you know, special effects, you know, all the um, the action that we talk about, Andrew, right? I mean, yeah. you know, jumping onto the train that just like all, you know, it basically, um, you know, fell apart. And um, it's, you know, all the uh, high swinging from the rope from the bridge and, you know what I mean? Like all the, all that kind of stuff. We, we didn't really see that, you know, with the early James Bond films. And I think a lot of it is just, like I said, it's the landscape changing and uh, the advancement of technology and the advancement of the way we shoot uh, movies today and, you know, um, the sets that are available. Daniel, what did you say about the sets basically, you know, during Sean Connery's time? I mean, everything was basically shot on set. Yeah, no, I mean, back then, it was all done on a studio backlot. It wasn't like, you know, back in back in the day of Sean Connery's Bonds in the 60s and 70s, they were doing a lot of the movie making on studio backlots. There wasn't a whole lot of go-out-on-location film stuff. Lighting equipment wasn't quite, you know, as robust as it is today. Like, the lights were huge, they would get hot, they, they couldn't be moved around mm -hmm. much, they needed power from the wall. Like, you couldn't really have you know, battery-powered lighting, or certainly, you know, running them on generators, you can take them remote, and they still do that for big productions today, but that, in addition to the lighting, you had cameras that just weren't as good as the ones out today. The sensors weren't as, as, sens as sensitive, they couldn't, they needed much more light, uh, they couldn't really perform well under low lighting conditions, so that's why when you look at the old Bond movies, they're very uh, high-key lighting is, is basically everywhere. It's very hard for them to get that kind of um, mystery vibe, the dramatic, moody lighting to work in a lot of those movies because, A, they were basically making those like once a year. Like, if you look at the, mm -hmm. the first four Connery Bonds, the first four Bond movies, period, they all came out in back-to-back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back years, like from 62 right. to like 65, right? 62, 3, 4, 5, where Bond, Bond, and then the 67, they came out with the fifth one. So they would take a year off, but they did four Bond movies in four years. You just simply look at that even today. Yeah, you can, you know, you have better lighting and you have better cameras and you probably can do visual effects work and all those things. But even today, if you were whipping out m movies in four years back-to-back, they would be certain it's production unheard of. It's unheard of today. Yeah, there were yeah. such big gaps, you know, like with Daniel Craig's exactly. you know, um, James Bond movies. Yeah, so, and a lot of that has time. to do with the way they were shot and the technology at the time. So, Can we talk right. about all the contradictions in this movie, though? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I'm ready well, for it. You know, we first of all, this the whole this sort of seems to be the unraveling of the James Bond character. It it kind of 
it, it, I don't know. I felt like I was losing him. I felt like he was disappearing and just like the whole plot revolved around us disintegrating the idea of James Bond forever. Um, it, it, was, it was sort of like what they did with Batman versus Superman. They deconstructed the characters and kind of broke them down into what, not only what the character is, but what it means to be a Bond. And, and not just that, it wasn't, with this, these movies, they didn't just treat James Bond as, as like a symbol. They very much treated Daniel Craig's Bond as, they treated him as any other, like he was a character and a story, and therefore he had an arc that kind of had a beginning and an end. And unlike Bond movies in the past, where each movie kind of plays out like as, as an episode in the life of James Bond, Ooh. This whole movie series was serialized where the whole movies, the whole five movies were the life of this Bond. Like from the time that he's basically a young Bond all the way to the time that he retires, comes back, retires again, finds love. And then he comes back out of retirement to then, of course, you know what happens in this movie. Should we give a spoiler warning? I don't know. Are we talking spoilers? In this? Probably should, just while okay. we're here. Okay, yeah. let, me, let me pull that I mean, up the here. The movie just came out. And... Spoiler yeah. warning, everybody. You have been warned. We will probably talk um, about some things that happened in this movie that if you haven't seen yet, you should probably avoid the rest of this review. Uh, we've already talked about a lot of this movie, but the rest of the re review is going to have spoilers in it. So if you don't want to get yourself spoiled or have any part of the movie spoiled, um, tune, tune, tune out now or actually skip ahead. We've got a bunch of stuff after this too. So skip ahead, but you know the rest of this review is going to have some spoilers. So yeah, back at it. Let's talk about the movie. Let's talk about the plot. Let's talk about what works, what didn't work. What do you? What did you? For you, what 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 worked in this movie? I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's still like those big action scenes that we see, you know, with Daniel Craig that he's involved with. Um, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong when I say this. Maybe there weren't enough of them because I felt like even though what is this a two-hour, thirty-four-minute film? Uh, even though it was two hours thirty-four minutes, I mean, I just feel like it was like a little bit rushed. Um, I feel like, you know, there was just certain essentials from those Daniel Craig uh, Bond movies that in the past that we we're used to seeing that were kind of missing. Um, they sort of said, I they mean, definitely... basically said like, look, you already know this world exists. Just take it. Yeah. For it was sort of felt like in that sense, like what you get from Marvel movies, right? Especially the Avengers crossover films where they're like, so, you know, there's there's Tony Stark and, of course, there's Pepper Potts and then, you know, there's Steve Rogers and there's Nick Fury. You know these guys exist. Let's just move on. Let's talk, let's get him, put him into to the middle of the action. And that's what this movie felt like. It just felt like it didn't have a whole lot of time for pleasantries. It just sort of went right into the story. They're like, we got a right. lot to cover. We have two and a half right. hours to do it. Let's just dive right yeah. in. So that was right. the approach. That note, it's a long movie. It's it is a long right. movie. And if you're not a fan of, you know, uh, deconstructing this icon and turning him into a guy who's just trying to live his life and escape <laughs> escape everything that made him who he was. Uh, or you're not terrified by Rami Malek, which I was not. Um, it's it's a lot more. <laughs> he he is a good he is a good actor, but yeah, I must agree with you on that, uh, Andrew. I was not overly like terrified by his his person and. You know his kind of um, bad guy persona. Yeah. In this, and, uh, I think I his character sort of got, went to waste because they could have done so much more with Rami Malek's character. He just felt like 
another Bond villain. Like, they're another right. throwaway Bond villain because right. he had a nice be premise. The, the, mm-hmm. There's yeah. a scene at the beginning of the movie where you get introduced to him. First of all, it's hard for me to make sense of the fact that this... I mean, I guess they had the mask on. I'm like, he didn't look like he aged as much as Leia Sado's character did. <laughs> You know, Madeline Swan. But anyway, right. I can buy that. Like, whatever. That's just, I'll make it work in my head. That didn't I mean, really throw me off. But what did throw yeah, me off let, was, let's talk about the kid. Here's sure. a big spoiler. There's well, a kid yeah, no, in the that's, movie. That's exactly what I was just going to get to, Daniel. Yeah. I mean, we're dealing with two different dynamics in this in yeah. this uh, James Bond film, too. I mean, the first dynamic is basically that he has to coincide with another 007. You know what I mean? That kind of, like, threw me off a little bit, I guess you could say. But yeah, the child was definitely the other dynamic that we're not used to seeing a child uh, basically in a James Bond, you know, film. So no, that and the fact really that, wrong I mean, to me. Yeah, it, I don't know if it was wrong. Purpose? It was just very different. It I was the wrong. Yeah, but what was the purpose <laughs> of the whole lie that you know? Oh yeah, where she's like, it's not yours. And then there's right. like they play I, it well, off. He's like, are you gonna show? He's like, I got something to show you. And he's like, um, another child. <laughs> they just kind of walk down. I that Brian and I were talking about this before the show, right? Yeah. And I kept bringing up the idea that whole call it a red herring, call it, like trying to throw the audience off or whatever. They, what? And it wasn't just like they were trying to throw the audience off in the movie itself, in the story world itself. They're played off as like, oh yeah, no, it's not. Even though like, oh, that the blue eyes and everything. I'm like, what was the purpose? of doing that because i was like if there was a, if like that was a setup there was no payoff for that part of the story yeah, it didn't it didn't lead into anything it didn't go yeah. anywhere you know what i mean and i i didn't understand what the point of that was like yeah. you know it I, usually it's like a setup for something later to come in the movie but it just it, you know i don't know it, it didn't final yeah. thoughts on this worth seeing good movie any what do you what do you think for me this yeah. was a great film uh, despite the flaws that I know we've kind of highlighted the flaws more than maybe what mm-hmm. was good about it. I think this movie had a great action. I love the callbacks. Like, look, because I, I'm biased. I love this version of Bond and I love Casino Royale and I loved everything that came early before this movie minus maybe Spectre. So for me, like what happened in this movie overall, I think this, this Bond movie, you know, covered ground that no Bond movie in the past has done. It was sort of like the last Jedi of this franchise because that movie also, for most Star Wars fans, they're like, this is not a Star Wars movie. But I'm like, sure. But it did do a lot of things that were new for the franchise. And that's, for me, was what this movie did. Was it, yeah. it tread new ground in a way that sort of, it did work. It had a sense of finality to it right from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. I yeah, love the callbacks yeah, to the older used, films. Yeah, they we just weren't used to that you know, new direction. I think that it yeah. went in. You know what I mean? It was kind yeah. of odd and a little off-putting. I love, but... dude, I gotta say, I love Jeffrey Wright's Felix. Like, he comes back. I'm like, ah, oh, that just made me, like, feel good inside. Seeing him come back. And then the way he dies in the movie, I'm like, yeah, he's definitely going to die. He's back to die in this movie. I knew that. But then I was like, how is he going to die? And the way he dies was like a perfect callback to the way Eva Green's Vesper Lynn dies in Casino Royale, which was like the central, like, I feel like that event has basically in one way or another motivated this version of, of Bond ever mm-hmm. since so it's been like a running theme right and it even plays into how he finally found love again with madeline swan and of course they have a kid so uh, 
the callbacks were fantastic. The visual storytelling that was happening in the movie, the cinematography was great. Obviously, the the, the directing mm-hmm. was I think very well done. The the score at times felt like I was watching The Dark Knight, especially the third act. Hans Zimmer yeah. did the score for this. He did the score for all those Batman movies with Christopher Nolan, and you could tell there was times in this movie in the third act where the score. If you close your eyes, you were like, "Is this? Is am I watching The Dark Knight?" Or am I watching a James Bond movie? It was that close. And that doesn't usually happen by accident. That's on purpose. Um, I love the yeah. Ana de Armas character appearance. That was a fun, fun little tangent that they went on. Like, you know, perfect kind of Bond girl appearance. The action was great. Love her as an actress. And nice to see her again yeah. with Dana Craig after Knives yeah. Out. So. <laughs> that was so, fun. I mean, all in all, great movie. If I were to rate mm-hmm. it, I still think Casino Royale is the best. Skyfall is probably second. But this... I think is a definitive third, and then Quantum of Solace drops to fourth, and for me, then you know, Spectre lands still in in, in in fifth. But yeah, great film, great end. I think this has a sense of finality that no Bond movie has ever had, and that's gonna then play into how they reboot the franchise and whoever the cast and however many years down the road, probably not very long. And the movie's doing really well at the box office too. It's holding up really well abroad. It's it's come up to like 300 million worldwide, and it debuted a little bit under expectations in the in the U.S. market, but internationally, I think, in, especially in the U.K., it was the highest-grossing debut for a Bond movie ever. So it's making the money. It's got great reviews. It's you know I think certified fresh by now in Rotten Tomatoes. All in all, you know, great outing, great way to go out. And of course, it's been 18 months since it was supposed to come out. So. Yeah. It's long overdue, and I'm glad you know that this is finally out there. And Daniel Craig's, you know, been pretty emotional about it on the press tour, so sure. you could tell it means a lot to him. Brian, your final thoughts on it? No, I think Daniel hit on a lot of really good points. I mean, there were beautiful, beautiful visuals all throughout the movie. Uh, I think the cinematography was great. Uh, one in scene, one scene in particular that I really liked, uh, the chase scene through the country uh, with cars flipping over the rocks and stuff. You get like that dense fog and, and the lighting of uh, being in the jungle. I thought that was mm. really neat. Um, I thought it was a nice fitting send off for, for Daniel Craig, you know, uh, a great series that had to basically come to an end um, for him uh, with the James Bond uh, franchise. But um, I also just want to point out too, uh, the fact that Billie Eilish sang the, uh, the intro, I mean, that was pretty great too. I mean, I, I, there's a Grammy nomination right there, I guess you could say. Um, Probably going to get nominated were... for an Oscar, too. Best story. Yeah, song. yeah. Um, the, the jokes, I mean, they were, they were all right. You know, a little dry, a little funny, a little humorous. Uh, there was a cat joke in there that was pretty funny. Um, I thought Q was pretty funny. There was another joke I think he had in there. Uh, Daniel Craig had a joke about another child in there after he saw the, the, one, the little girl, um, which yeah. was pretty funny. Other than that, I mean... Um, yeah, I mean, Daniel basically hit on everything. It was a little reminiscent of uh, Dark Knight. Um, you know, Hans Zimmer, yeah, he did a beautiful score for this. Um, I always pay attention to the music in, in films, you know, especially films like this. And yeah. uh, Hans Zimmer is definitely a, a legend. So, um, yeah, those beautiful scores. Well, it's but, not um, like people are pretty pumped for this, and I think it's going to be the kind of thing where people are going to keep going to see it. I don't know if it's going to come out to stream just yet, but hopefully it's the kind of thing that brings people back into theaters. I think that puts a good button on it. Let's see what Roland's yeah. up to this week. Roland, to you. Where is that guy? Hi, welcome to Roland Underground, where we talk about what's happening in the world above while in my...
whose house am I in? Anyways, uh, it's been raining the past couple days, um, and it's gonna be raining throughout the week, so I thought I'd be talking about, you know, <laughs> related problems, you know. Uh, what to do in the house while on a rainy day and avoiding the cops. So, number one, uh, watch an obscure horror movie. You'll, you'll feel classy, cool, indie, a little artsy, you know, you'll be entertained, and if you're scaredy cats, you won't be bored afterwards with the, the thoughts going on in your head. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, number two, Texan X. You know, it's it's been a couple weeks. They're a completely different person. You don't know how they are anymore. You know, just check in on them. See how they are. Maybe, you know, start a conversation with this new person. You, you, you never know, you know? Uh, number three... Take a walk, you know, sometimes you get cramps just walking in this, this confined space that is your apartment house hole, you know, it, so it's, it's good to walk outside, you know, uh, walking on the road, that's a favorite pastime of mine, and I, I do say if you are to walk on the road, please avoid any shiny gear, any safety vest, don't have any lights on you, you know, it's, it's, it's raining and the drivers need all the focus they can, and you really don't want to distract them while you're walking. Shave everything, everything, head, face, everything. You know, studies show bald is patriotic. I'm not gonna do that because, well, I'm trying to do something for Halloween, so like, but if it doesn't matter, just shave, shave it, shave it. Eyebrows too, do it. Um, You know, while you're, you're just kind of alone and in your house. Maybe you should try the responsibility of getting a pet. You know, just just go to a store. You know, just pick one up, and they're so cute and fun. But you know, try to remember when you're training them. If they mess up, it isn't the one. You know, that's not that's not your pet. So don't be afraid to go back and get another one. Or you know, if they they're not taking that animal back, they'll find its way. And finally. Um, I like to go through my roommate's stuff, if I have a roommate. Uh, I, I, if they're sleeping, I try to be as quiet as I can, but, you know, it's good. You know, you'll never understand a person unless you see what they have. That's Rolling Underground with my list. Um, let's talk about me for a second. What's happening in my life? Well... Looks like next week we're gonna have we're gonna talk about all the movies coming out this fall. It's abnormally large list of movies this season. Oh yeah, I mean, what, big fall calendar. Yeah, for a fall calendar, it's 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 packed. There's a lot of horror. There's a lot of action. There's surprisingly a number of westerns. There's of what course the holiday think? movies. There's a new Home Alone movie coming out in Disney Plus. I'm excited You're kidding. about it's that. Crazy. Still There's a new that. Home Alone coming out on Disney Plus, guys. Oh gosh, is uh, Macaulay Culkin gonna be in it? No, no, it's it's a whole different oh. cast. It's the cast. If you look at the cast, there's it's pretty loaded and it's very good. For some reason, the only person that's coming to mind is Keenan Thompson, from Keenan okay. and Cal back in the day. He's an SNL. Yeah. 
but there's <laughs> I looked at the cast and there wasn't any question marks. I just thought like I'm excited because it feels like for the first time in a long time we're gonna get a good Home Alone movie. But like I think the first three were good. They've done a couple since. They were like direct to TV or direct to DVD yeah. and didn't really like them. So there's a, it feels like Christmas is gonna be a busy time at the movies. I mean, and it's like we're getting a whole summer's worth of movies yeah, in the fall. Is. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. usually there's movies coming out in holiday times, but this year it's like all the stuff that was supposed to come out, a couple of things yeah. got moved, like Top Gun Maverick got moved out of the schedule to next year, yeah. I think in April. But you've you've got like a bunch of movies that have been delayed due to COVID and they're coming out alongside all the movies that were supposed to come out anyway. Like the Spider-Man movie is probably going to break all kinds of records. There's an Eternals movie coming out. Venom's already out. You got No Time to Die. There's Last Duel with Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Cormier, like directed by Ridley Scott. There's King Richard coming out. Willie Smith is going to go for Oscar now. There's all kinds of great movies that are coming out. So next week, I'm really looking forward to talking about all that clutter. And we're going to try to figure out a way to get you guys to watch everything you want to watch despite the fact that you know you only have like well you have less than three months to do it yeah but, we're gonna cut the fat we're gonna cut out the stuff you don't yeah need. we're gonna we're cut gonna, the fat get you the stuff you need we're gonna break it down for you we're gonna yeah. tell you what what you should go see and what maybe you should not go see <laughs> yeah or something you can wait to watch at home or something you have to see in theaters like dune you have to see in theaters like there's definitely a lot of examples of, of those kind of movies. Um, but yeah, that I, I think that does it for us today. Uh, what do you guys I think? I think that's it for yeah. me today as well. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a pleasure. Thanks for watching. I'm Andrew yeah. Frankel. I'm Brian Jennings. And I'm Daniel. All right. This has been Oh So Curious. We will see you next week. Have a good All one. Right. Thanks, guys. Just working. I don't, you know. Um, I was in an Airbnb. That was was okay. It was an RV, which was which was fine. It was a little more spacious than um, I thought. So that was that was great. There wasn't any water for two days, and I thought I was just going crazy. And then finally, they were, they were like, "Oh yeah, no, it's just wasn't connected." And I was like, "Oh, cool." Also, I messed up on the location. I thought I was working south of Asheville. I wasn't. I was working north of Asheville. So uh, that was a 40-minute drive every morning that could have been not that. Um, what else? Oh, I forgot to pack underwear for some reason. Uh, I remember getting underwear and packing it, but I didn't. So that sucked. I had to, I had to buy some underwear. Got into, uh, Red Baron's got these new pepperoni sandwiches things. Those are really good. I like those a lot. That's pretty much it. That's kind of what's, what's happening. Um, yeah, so that's, that's rolling underground. Uh, stay tuned next week as we talk about the pandemic that is the god-awful creation of birds. Thank you and enjoy. <laughs>